pray for you all. You obviously need it. <laughs> Lord, we just release grace and blessing on all, these, all of us tonight. We, just, we pray for you to show up powerfully tonight, Lord. We pray for you to write our history. And this to be another chapter in our history. Just all that's already happened tonight. All the healings that have already taken place. All the healings that are taking place even as we interact and hold hands right now and pray for one another. All the healings that will take place as we, as we share, as we pray for people. Lord, the restorations that will take place. We just bless. We just bless what you're doing here in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, yeah, I, I just uh, thought of a, a testimony we had many years ago. First of all, I want to say this. Uh, I, I believe that there are sons, specifically sons, but daughters too. But I, I say sons because I just saw this picture of a, a young man. He's probably uh, in his early 20s just coming home that's been, uh, that you haven't heard from. Uh, I don't even know if you know he's alive. Um, we shared a word many years ago in Weaverville. I'm sorry, it, it was probably 25 years ago. Um, we, were, we were praying on lines like we always do after a service, and we were, I was praying for this man. I think Kathy and I were praying for him, and, and he just came up for prayer and just said, I just need prayer. He didn't tell us what he wanted prayer for, and I said, I um, see your son. Uh, you have a son? He said, yes. I said, have you not heard from him? The, he said, no, I don't know if he's dead or alive. I said, he's going to call you by the time you get home. And when he got home, um, you remember those things called answering machines we used to have? <laughs> For the young people, I want you to know. He got home and there was a, uh, there was a uh, voice message from his son. And I don't remember how long, it had been years since he'd heard from him. And he had been living on the streets and he left a message for his dad to call him back. His dad went the next day and met him in Eureka. And they reconciled. I think it was within a, a few months he was, he was in our church. Anyway, I just have this, I, I haven't remembered that for years. Uh, if somebody have, uh, it, it's if, if it's a daughter, it's fine too. But anybody in that condition, would you stand up? Is there anyone in that condition? Like you have a son or a daughter you haven't heard from? Yes, is it a son? It's a both, son and a daughter. Okay, cool. Stay standing. Anybody else? Is there anyone else? I'm sorry, it's a large room. Oh, back there, okay. Is it a son? Son? Daughter? Okay, daughter and son. Who else? Okay, great. Okay, great. Oh, cool, yes. Is yours a son? Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, just extend your hands towards them. Lord, we just, we, we pray for the prodigal sons and daughters to come home. That's it. That's the word. Just come home right there in Jesus' name. It's actually in Malachi 4 that's, that son, fathers are going to return home, that sons are going to return to their fathers and mothers. And we just speak right now to sons and daughters to return home in Jesus' name. We thank you for this, uh, um, this uh, testimony from years ago. And we just pull on that testimony right now and we say this testimony right here is the spirit of prophecy for you and you and you and you and you and you over there too. In Jesus' name, we just release that right now. And may you receive a phone call before the week is over and may you be reconciled before, before the month's over. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And everybody said we agree with that? That's good. And keep us informed. Would you just let us know how that's going, okay? That's awesome. Cool. Did we pray? We did. Um, we've been working on. <laughs> we've been working. Uh, I've been uh, doing this series on uh, cultures that cultivate world changers, and um, we talked about. Uh, I was. I told you the story some time ago about about a couple of months ago when the photographers came to our house and they did a photography shoot at our house and just this wonderful experience that we had when that when that whole thing happened and. We talked about, in, uh, we, we ended with this whole idea of uh, Barnabas taking a hold of Saul. It's in Acts chapter 9 that Barnabas, chapter 9, verse 26, and it says that all the apostles were afraid of Saul. You remember that the Lord had, uh, in, he had countered the Lord, he had countered the Lord on the way to uh, terrorize Christians and kill them and stone them. And, uh, and the Lord had encountered him and he ends up on the ground and... He sees a light and he's in the, he ends up blind and 
the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You remember the story? And he says, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he tells them to go to this certain house and, that, and to wait there. And he ends up at this house. And then the Lord sends a, an, um, a disciple named Ananias to go to the house and to pray for his, the healing of his eyes and to give him a prophecy. And the prophecy was that you're going to speak to kings and you're going to speak to Gentiles and you're going to suffer for the name of Christ. And so he has a word. He has an encounter. He has a healing. He has a prophetic word. And then he tries to make it happen. And, and then... Nobody, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. How many have a word in your life that just isn't working? <laughs> I have a word about being a dancer. <laughs> so we all have things that just aren't working. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Someday. And so he has this word. He has this encounter, supernatural encounter. He has a, superna- he has a prophetic word. And he, um, he's, he's actually uh, heard the audible voice of Jesus. And he's trying to make the word happen. As we know, it, nothing works. And then, chapter 9. It says that he came to the apostles, but they were all afraid of him. Obviously, he was the ISIS of his day. He was killing Christians. He was destroying uh, homes and families and dragging them into prison and, and so everybody was afraid of him but then verse 27 says but Barnabas but Barnabas took a hold of Saul and he brought them he Barnabas brought Saul to the apostles and explained to the apostles everything that he had seen and, and the experiences he had had I, I love this because Barnabas basically extended his favor the favor that he had with, his, with the apostles he extended it to Barnabas to, he extended to Paul, Saul, at the time named Saul. And, uh, and anyway, he ends up being embraced by the apostles. And then for the next five chapters, it's uh, Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul went here, and Barnabas and Saul were there. Barnabas and Saul encountered this, these people. Barnabas and Saul preached. Barnabas and Saul healed the sick. And then in chapter 13, the order reverses when Paul has an encounter with Elamus, who's, son, who's the uh, bar Jesus, which is, the, is a demonized guy who's op- opposed to Jesus. And Paul encounters him. Um, still, he's still Saul. He encounters him. He, uh, he, uh, he blinds him. I was thinking this, that Paul encountered Jesus blind. I bet there was something in Paul that says, if this man stops seeing, he'll probably start seeing. And he ends up encountering this man. And from that day on, uh, his name is mentioned first, Paul and Barnabas. His name's changed from Saul to Paul, and it's mentioned from that day first. And, and um, the, the connotation is, is that Barnabas empowered Saul to the place that he became a Paul and, uh, and at least outgrew Barnabas in some ways. I, I don't think he ever outgrew Barnabas. I think that he, he became more anointed in areas of, of his life. And you, as you know, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote 13 books of the Bible. Um, and, uh, and later on, Barnabas uh, mentors a man named Mark who has issues with fear. And um, that, that young man becomes the author of the book of Mark. And so Barnabas never writes the book of the Bible, but he mentors the two guys who write 14 books of the New Testament. And then we talked about, we kind of ended with these thoughts that some of us are just one Barnabas away from changing the world. How many know we love Esther? But without Mordecai, there wouldn't be an Esther. And um, without Moses, there wouldn't be a Joshua, and so on and so forth. It's just like, you know, sometimes we have to, in in order for us to find our destiny, we have to find our people. And I really believe strongly in the fact that we're not supposed to be with everyone, but we're supposed to be with someone. And we aren't supposed to be everywhere, but we're supposed to be somewhere. And you aren't supposed to be, and it's not supposed to do everything, but we're supposed to be, do something. These are quotes that David Crone shared this weekend, this week. How many are not supposed to be everywhere, but you're supposed to be somewhere? Like there's a specific place you're supposed to be. How many know wanderers never accomplish anything? That's a good word. So I, I thought I'd put together just a little... Um, you know, people came up to me afterwards, uh, and I got emails and texts and 
some Facebook messaging, some people were like, that was a good message, but how do you actually take hold of somebody? <laughs> like, how do you practically do it? Like, what do you do? <laughs> like, hello, I'm taking hold of you. Uh, that feels like control. Uh, okay. Sorry. I'm just trying to make you an apostle. <laughs> I guess you don't like me. And so I, I just put together just a, some, a practical kind of list of uh, things that, that came to my mind. Um, and one is just the, 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 the ability to discern where people are in life. And, you know, um, people are first bereaved. They're, they, they, they don't belong anywhere. They're just, you know, they're, they're an island. And they go from there to belonging and then believing and then behaving. These are the steps that we take in relationships. First we belong, then we believe, then we behave. Sometimes we create these systems, they're almost methods where we're trying to teach people who don't yet belong. And, and, and I like to say that it's, it's important for people to feel like they're a part of something, that you care about them, that they can disagree even if they don't get it right. I was with a young man in Scotland and he came up to me and he said, I've been following you for a while on podcasts. And I said, oh, it's a really good looking young man, probably 21, 22 years old. And he said, yeah. And he said, um, I just, uh, he said, uh, you know, I have a real problem with um, marijuana, smoking dope. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, uh, is God going to send me to hell for smoking dope? And I said, I don't know why you're saying that. And he started telling me about his past and then he had he has he struggled with porn and he's telling me all these problems he has and I said hey can we just stop for a minute sure he's like okay I said can I just hold you he's like what do you want to do I said can you just come over here sit next to the couch I just want to hold you he said you want to hold me I said yeah I just want you to sit next to me and I want to put my arms around you he's like all right Oh, I forgot to tell you this. The, main, the first thing he said, he says, I'm having same-sex attraction. And I just feel unclean, and, and, I, and I feel like I'm going to hell. And, and, then, and I'm trying to, like, I wake up every morning shaky, and I have to smoke dope for that. And, and I have a porn problem, and it's all this perversion going on. And he's telling me all this stuff. And, and uh, I said, well, come over here and just let me hold you. He's like, all right. I put my arms around him, and I just held him. And, and I just held him. He kind of pulled away and I said, well, just look another minute. <laughs> and while I was holding him, I was telling him, you are a good boy. The father loves you. And he, in my ear, he's like, but I have this problem with marijuana. I said, can we not talk about that? That's not what the father's talking about. He wants to tell you how much he loves you. You are a good man. You were a good boy, and now you're a good man. And in my ear, he's like, I have this problem with same-sex attraction. I'm like, you just need to be loved. And I held him for like 15 minutes. When I let go of him, he scooted off the couch and fell onto the floor, weeping like a little boy. And he looks up from the floor, he says, I have never been loved like that. And he gets up, and he, he's sitting in the chair, and he says, his friend comes over. And his friend's like, that man loved me. And he's another young man, about the same age. And they both sit there and he's like, what do I do about this problem with dope, marijuana? I have this marijuana problem. I said, I don't, I don't think you should worry about that. You don't think I should worry about it? He said, no, you're going to get so loved that that's just going to go away. He said, I'm going to get so loved it's going to go away. I said, how are how, how you feeling right now? He said, so loved. What am I going to do about my same-sex attraction? You're going to learn to love yourself and that's just going to fall off you because it's just not who you are. And um, anyway, he wrote me this week. I, I don't even think I told Kathy about this today. He wrote me this week. This, well, we, we were gone for 17 days, so we had lots of encounters. And he just wrote me this week and said, I'm doing really good and I'm getting better. And, uh, you know, and I told him, he said, what if I, what if I stop and then I, then I, then I fall? I said, why don't you think of it this way? How about if you think of it like you do it every day now, and if, and if the next six months you only do it half the time, then you will 
going the right direction. He said, can I do that? I'm like, yeah. I don't know, that's not the advice you give most people. But I felt it was right. But my point is, is that when he, you know, he had all these like issues. In fact, he was coming to me like, it's homosexuality, you know, I saw your post. And he wasn't at, he was just kind of like, I don't know, he was just, yeah, whatever. I'm like, well, can we not talk about that? Just let me hug you. Something happens when people feel like you love them. They're so much more open to the truth. People need to feel like they belong. And then you can talk to them about what they believe and then their behavior will normally change. You know, um, Proverbs 16, 26 says, a worker's appetite works for him and his hunger urges him on. And I think that when people, I think that, I think there's, Four basic motivations in life. And I don't know if there's more than this, but these are the ones that come to my mind. The first one's survival. Like the first time you, when you first come to Jesus, most of us, we don't come to Jesus because we're such, you know, wonderful people. We come to Jesus because we don't want to go to hell and we get this thing on our back that just plagues us every day. And, you know, it's like, and it's like sometimes we share it 10 years later, like we had these great motives, like, oh, I just fell in love with Jesus. Like, no, you didn't. You didn't want to die and go to hell and you felt convicted of your sin and you felt dirty I, I remember when I received Jesus the, the physical uh, manifestation I had was a weight came off my back how many have something like that like this big old weight came off of me I'm like yeah that's what I came for <laughs> and then I found out there was more benefits and little by little I fell in love with the God I didn't know I mean I would love it to be like it was love at first sight I fell in love no I, I didn't I fell <laughs> love grew. I know, I'll say, people, they say, I fell in love with that girl. I said, well, if you fell in love with her, you better grow in love with her because what you did by accident needs to happen on purpose. There's a lot of people, they fall in love with Jesus, but it doesn't last. It's the kind of parable where, you know, the, at first they got the happy meal, but then there was no connection. I get happier about people who grow in love. And if you do both, it's awesome. So a worker's appetite works for him. Survival motivates people until the, standard of living, until the standard of living they have on the inside reaches the standard of living. Did I say it right? Yeah, um, motivates people until the standard of living that they have internally uh, is realized externally. And I, I remember this um, when, um, when I had my businesses. I remember that I had, I had a guy, I'll just call him John. And John worked for me for a long, long time. And I remember that every hour of overtime he could get he was like there for like the first five years and every time I gave him a raise he worked harder and every time there was another car we had repair shops he was one of my mechanics and when when there was another like if 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 we had to work late he'd be like oh I love yes no problem give me overtime and I and I and I developed this um this commission program so that he could the the harder he worked and the more productive he was the, the more money he made, and that was really motivating. Until about five years, and John worked for me about eight years. About five years into him working for me, I noticed that, that I, could, I could give him a bonus or change the plan, and he was always the first guy out the door. And I, would, I thought there was something, I thought maybe he was upset with his pay, and I gave him a, uh, a $2 an hour raise, which was a lot of money at the time, and that made no difference, and... I was just racking my brain, and one day I sat down with him, and I'm like, so, John, what is your goals, John? How are, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? So, yeah, I love my job. And, and what happened was, is that the standard of blessing that he had on the inside was realized on the outside. He'd obtained the level of his prosperity that he dreamed about, and when he did, he wasn't motivated to do anything else. I don't mean he didn't do a good job, I just mean he didn't stretch, he was there. And a lot of that has to do with the people you hang out. Now I'm talking about financially, but everybody's getting it, right? I see your eyes light up, it's like, it happens spiritually too, right? But it typically is like your peer group. It's like, you know, when you're, you, you got people around you and, and they can go to the movies, but you can't because you don't have the money, 
or they can go out to dinner, but you can't. You know, you, you feel, and I'm, right now I'm just talking about monetary stuff, but it works everywhere. And it's like, they can do things you can't because you don't have the money. And there's this kind of agitation where you're, you're, you're bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. But when that, when that thing gets, like when you get to that place where you have, ooh, feathers. Well, that was a, that would look like an angel fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you, ha- when you get on the outside what you have on the inside, it's like water seeks its level, right? And there's no longer, there was no longer any mo- motivation. And I, I really love this guy a lot, and we work together really well. And it was really great having him in my life because I learned a lot about, about leadership from him in, the, in just learning how to motivate him. Because I think I told you the story... Um, last time we were together, but I couldn't get, like, uh, one of my guys would, one of the things we wanted to do when we owned our auto parts house is we wanted to have the phone answered right away, because we mostly sold to repair shops who time is ac- actually is money. They actually get paid by the job, and the more jobs they finish in a day, the more money they make. And so I would tell my guys, hey, I want you to, I want you to run to the phones. I want the phones answered within three rings. And that would, you know, I remember this, we, we had this really angry conversation one day. The phone was ringing and ringing and ringing and my two guys were having this conversation. They were just standing there watching the phone ring. I'm like, hey, hey, answer the phone. And one of them was like, oh, we were having this, you know, we were talking about, I'm like, I don't care, the phone's ringing. The phone, is, this is the people that pay for your pajamas. <laughs> what the heck's wrong with you, man? Your Superman suits for your kids and stuff. It's ringing right there, you bonehead. And my guys, one day we got in this, yeah, it was an argument. We got in this argument, there was about five of them. And, they, and one of them said, you don't pay us enough to run to the phone. That was one of, the other guys were more quiet about it. But he said, you don't pay us enough to run to the phone. And I'm like, and so we kind of had this conversation about, well, how much is enough? And, you know, there was no answer to that. We went several months, I told you the story, but I think it's a good story. We went several months with that agitation, and I think there was probably some offense on my side for sure. And one day I'm driving home, I, 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 got, I stayed a little late, and I'm driving home, and I went by the park, and all of my guys, all my seven guys that worked at my parts store who didn't want to run to the phone, they were running around the bases practicing for a softball game for free. I parked. I watched them. Remember, three months before, they told me I didn't pay them enough to run eight feet to the phone. But they're running around the bases for free. I felt like the Lord said, taste and see. I'm like, all right, all right, something's happening here. And the Lord said, if you didn't figure out why they do that, then you'll figure out how to handle that. That took me a while. And I figured out that when you make enough money, you need other reasons to motivate you. And by the way, not just money. When you receive Jesus, and you know, I remember uh, so many people I mentored in the early days, like when they first received Jesus, they're at church every time the doors are open. They're at every prayer meeting. I'm not even saying that's the healthiest thing, but they just were. And I realized this, that as they learned that they were actually saved by grace, (laughs) and not by works, that somehow their behavior sometimes changed to negative. And I'd be like, hey, you didn't come to home. You know, you'd see them in the store, you're like, hey, we missed you at home group. See, that's code. <laughs> Everybody knows that's code. When your home group leader says, hey, we missed you this week, that means, hey, dude, what's going on? Don't you make me look bad. We need 30 people in this group. We don't want people to think we're digressing. You get that? And sometimes it's actually a sign of health because people came because they felt like something bad was going to happen to them if they didn't perform. And then when they finally get the fact that Jesus actually just loves them for who they are, their attendance changed. And I'm not saying it should or shouldn't have, but it's actually a sign of health in their life. Because they got on the inside 
They got on the outside what they needed on the inside. And so I started to think about, okay, so there's other things that are motivating people. Look, my guys are running around for free. And I started to realize that God's put something else in us, the, the need to feel like we're significant, the, the need to be, to be admired, the need to, to compete. And co- it isn't for the competition's sake as much as it is for the sake of feeling like I did something significant. My, I, I won. It's funny, you know, um, in, this, in this grace movement we're in, I don't know if we ever find a balance really because sometimes we need to tell people, it's just grace, just stop striving. And other people we need to say, start striving. <laughs> we all know what we're talking about, right? You may not agree with the theology, but you're thinking of some people. Please do something. I'm waiting on the Lord. He ain't that slow. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain, in fact, let me just read you this. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel on his part brought the first of his flock and their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but Cain in his offering had no regard. So Cain became angry and his countenance fell. This is really good counseling. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will your countenance, will not your countenance be lifted up? Did you you hear what God just gave him, the counsel he just gave him? He said, if you do good stuff, you'll feel better about yourself. This is a great balance right here. You know, some people say, well, Jesus did it all. I said, no, no, he said, I'm finished. He didn't say you were. There are certain things that we are designed to do. We were created for good works in Christ Jesus, which he planned beforehand that you might walk in them. There is something about doing what you were called to do that actually makes you feel alive. And there's something that, that, that you're called to do that actually makes you feel complete. There's something you're called to do that actually makes your countenance good. There's something about waking up in the morning knowing that you're doing, doing, I'm going to just say it, that you're doing something that you know you're called to do. That's right and good. And it gets lost in the grace message. And sometimes people just, you know, they just flop around like fish, just like swim. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Something would be good. And it is true that when we harness the power of destiny, and significance, and affection, and the need to be known, and the need to be celebrated. It's, it's funny, it gets lost in, I think sometimes it gets lost in, in our adult years, because when, we, when our kids, you know, when they play baseball or whatever, you know, they, they get out there, they can't hit the ball, like, ah, you know, and, the, and your parents are in the stands like, good swing! <laughs> You're gonna hit that before you get to high school. <laughs> And we just naturally do it. I mean, you know, they, they don't get it right. Or, it doesn't matter. You're just like, you just know instinctively that they need encouragement. But something happens in so many cultures when we grow up. We're, we're overly concerned, like, that person might start feeling too good about themselves. Hey, buddy, you didn't hit the ball again. Struck out, I noticed. Keeping stats. Of course, I don't know how to play baseball, but I hate the fact that you do. I'm just, anyway, whatever. It's just a Facebook moment. So I told you the story, but, you know, I put a chart on the wall. I I, I watched my guys play baseball, softball, actually. I watched them that night, and I actually didn't get the idea that day. It was, it was a few days. It kind of like, why do they? I felt like the Lord said, why do they run around the bases for free? I'm like, I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> Sometimes the Lord asks you questions instead of gives you answers. He's a great father. He's teaching you how to think instead of what to think. 
And I realized that my guys love to compete. They love to feel the, you know, it's like the, the, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. And by the way, just a little side note, but I love movies. Anyone else love movies? I, I love movies. I don't like those chick flicks. I mean, I do chick flicks for a living. It's not entertaining. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? All of that weeping and stuff, that's what we do. We pastor people that, like, I don't want to see people weep. I just want to shoot them. You know, like Gladiator, you know, those kind of movies, you know? Yeah, you know, that, you know, movies where there's an end, there's a closure, he's dead. Ah, that kind of stuff, it's the kind of movies I like. I'm only partly kidding. <laughs> but I am concerned, and I'm going to get back to this in just a minute. I am concerned that we are siphoning off our need for adventure by watching other people do it, have all the feelings, and actually it never really happened. I am concerned that the most gifted people in the world are siphoning off their need. Did you hear need? The need for adventure, the need for risk that comes from faith by watching other people take risks and it doesn't inspire us, it siphons it off and it fulfills us. So I put a chart on the wall, a sales chart on the wall. Kathy remembers, she, she actually put the chart on the wall. First we had a little competition and that was okay, it didn't work too well. And then I, and I said, Kathy, let's put the chart on the wall where they can all see it. So every day it, was, it showed how much they sold the day before and then how much they sold for the month. And it had their name and then the next guy's name and the next guy's name and it showed it right there. And the first, the guy that was lowest in the month, he came up and he goes, I, I don't like this chart. <laughs> I said, it's working, it's working. Yeah, my sales, our sales grew about 40% in six months. You know what? We had, we had a new problem. And by the way, everything, every structure you have will have problems. You want, there's good problems and there's bad problems. Jesus had good problems. His disciples all thought they were amazing. They all argued about who's the greatest. How many of you know, no matter what culture you create, you're going to have problems. What kind do you want? You want, I can't find anyone to help in the nursery? Or do you want, we love kids, there's 50 of us, I'm in charge. <laughs> within a month, Kathy will remember this, within a month, my guys were running for the phone. Seven guys, actually at the time it was five. Five guys running for the phone, and you know, they get on the phone, hello, hello, hello. You know, they all have their own phones. Hello, 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 can I help you? Help and the customer's like, one of you would be fine. So we actually had to get a phone system that when you picked it up, it killed the other phones. It was awesome. Why? Because when you get past survival, you, there's other things you need. You know, once you know you're going to live, there's other things you need. What do I do with the guy I take a hold of? Well, you remember the first thing he needs, the first thing she needs, she needs to feel connected. He needs to feel loved. He needs to feel like no matter what happens in the world, you're not going to reject them. But after they feel loved, and that might take a week, and it might take a years, but once they know that they have a family that loves them no matter what, they start to, they start to access some other things they were born for. And I actually think the second thing is they, I mean, past survival, they need connection. So I, once they know they're not going to die, they need connection. They need like, does someone love me? And once they know they're loved, then they start to need significance. Like I was born to do something different. I remember in our home groups, we had home groups for years and years in our house. And I remember that when people first came, they were so excited and they would come. And you know, it was mostly all these transient people and unsaved people. They called our home group the space cadets. I remember we had two transients in the room one night, and uh, they were, you know, they were, yeah, they were, they were transients. <laughs> and Charlie was, Harper was teaching, him and I, we, we team taught, and it was Charlie's night, and he, he introduced the teaching as the teaching on Mars Hill. 
tonight, Charlie said, tonight we'll be studying the book of Acts. We want to talk about Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. And one transit said, I've been to Mars. <laughs> this is a true story. And the guy across, you know, there's like 30 people in our room. And the other, the other guy said, I've been there too. And they start having a conversation about Mars. This is a true story. This is, Tracy Evans was in this home group. She was bringing them. And Charlie, he's the most diplomatic person. He goes, I'm thinking it, and Charlie's all, I believe it was another Mars. <laughs> I'm, I'm hitting him on the leg like, come on, stop this stuff. You know, after a while, people came, and then, and then they, you know, they, they, they knew they were saved, and they started to feel good about themselves, and pretty soon they, they got connected, and our home group met for 17 years. And you know, after a while, people stopped coming. Lots, they would just kind of rotate in and out. And I started realizing years later that, you know, sometimes in order to get something done in life, you have to leave the people you're with. <laughs> Sometimes the people you're with actually keep you from doing what you're supposed to do because all they want to do is hang around and talk about it. And if you don't have a place where you can connect, where people belong, believe, and behave, and where they, where they, where they get past survival and into connection, they get past connection into significance, and they start actually feeling like they're doing something with their life. How many know sometimes, I, I think churches, some churches are like hospitals. Instead of having a hospital, they are a hospital. And the problem is, is that when you get healed up, you have, if you don't want to be a doctor, there's nothing else for you to do. And the pastor's like, you know, I led that guy to the Lord. I found him in the street. He's been with me for 10 years. He's been with you 10 years, but he doesn't want to be a nurse and he doesn't want to be a doctor and you're a hospital and there's nothing else for him to do here. And now you're going to guilt him into staying because all you have is a mass unit. You don't have an army. Hey, uh, we missed you at the home group. You left the hospital. I'm well. No, no. No, there's another disease you have. <laughs> and when you're in this mode, you have to find problems with people just so they'll stay. I see a demon on you. <laughs> the Lord told me something about you, but he told me not to tell you. How many have ever heard that one? I'm like, then why did you tell me he told you if you're not going to tell me what he told you? The life. We were born for significance. Daniel 7:27 says this: Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all his dominions will serve, all the dominions will serve and obey him. Let me just read this again. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. That's you. You were born to be amazing. You were born to reign and rule. That thing you have in you, like I'd like to be in charge of the nursery. <sighs> Not too big of a goal. You're supposed to be in charge of the planets. This is practice. We're going to be in charge of beans. You don't even know what they are. I already got my universe picked out. It's the sun. Bill's in front. He's like, it's the sun. <laughs> Things come through my mind that I just won't say at this point. There is something inside of every single person that's hidden someplace in you that says, I was born to be significant because you were. And something happens when you get around Jesus, you know, the disciples get around Jesus and they're all arguing about who's the greatest. We've talked about so many times here for years and years. Like, there's something about being around Jesus that reminds you that you were born to rule and reign with him. It's, and I'm not talking about clawing for, you know, power or any of that. I'm just talking about getting off the couch and that thing that's inside of you that 
loves competition, I believe that's the reigning thing. I think. <laughs> if it isn't, I'm wrong about that. What do I do with people I take a hold of? I discover. I start the discovery process. Now, let me tell you what not to do. I've been in accountability groups where accountability is account for your disability. And every we meet every week to talk about what things we sin in. Well, I had a thought. Anyone have a thought? Bad thought. I had a good Hey, hey, don't bring that in here. I got a testimony. That's for next month. Anybody fell this week? Anybody fell? Anybody looked at a movie you shouldn't too long? You looked too long at that picture? And it's like you feel like you've got to think of something you did wrong. Now listen, I believe in accountability. Even I believe in account for your disability. If you have a disability, it's great. You know, you, I do believe in of that. I believe in being vulnerable and transparent. And I think you can probably tell. I have an accountability group. It's 8,000 people. <laughs> I have an accounting group accountability group on Facebook. It's many more than that. But develop a place to meet with people where you're talking about their ability. I love this verse. It says, Proverbs 20, verse 5, it says, a plan, a plan in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. Oh, that's so beautiful. What a beautiful picture. Like the plans of a man are like deep waters. Like there's deep waters in you. There's deep waters in us. And what does someone who takes a hold of you do? They reach down. They like taste some of this water. Where'd you get that? In you. Where'd you find that? Inside of you. I love this. So Discover. Number one. Number two, develop. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. People don't like this verse. Because it says, if you hang out with stupid people, you'll be stupid. <laughs> sort of. It's a different version. It's an amplified passion. <laughs> Homogenized version <laughs> he who walks with wise men will be wise how do you know that it does matter who you hang out with and this doesn't give us an excuse to not reach the poor but it's one thing when you're influencing them it's another thing when they influence you you know I can't tell you how many people and I'm thankful it's not I don't see that anyone on our team doing this but I can't tell you how many people they, they work with the poor they go out in the streets we did it for years and years and years work with the poor but then it isn't very long before they become like the poor. And they feel entitled and they feel, and they feel like, wow, these people are owed something and why isn't something but somebody doing something? And, you know, it's, just, it's the government's... Do and it's like, whoa, whoa, wait, back up the train. And they're mad at anybody who has something and it just gets really weird. I mean, what are you offering these people? You become just like them. The goal is to reach out from the palace and welcome them into prosperity. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about a way of thinking where you go, I was born to be blessed. Something good's about to happen to me. But, you know, you get in there too long and you don't, you don't connect with your other mates. And pretty soon you'll end up with a poverty mindset and you work in there for years. I meet people on the, on the you know, I've been to Africa many times and, uh, and, to, and in the... Um, ghettos of Mexico many times and, and I, I, I meet lifers they get so they get so connected to the poor which is good so good but then they have nothing to offer except for food and they just perpetuate the same broken cycle I'm like listen you need mates you need people who aren't in the trenches and maybe doing maybe they're working with the rich Okay, this is going to really be offensive. If you're working with the poor, you should find someone who's working with the rich, the wealthy, the influential, that they're called to. I don't mean they're doing it so they can get something. I mean that God's called them to be a Daniel, a Joseph, whatever. And just connect with them so that thing is flowing in you. And so you're reminding them of the poor, and they're reminding you that not everyone lives like that. So number two, the one, deploy. 
He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. There is something just about hanging out with people who are ahead of you and God. There's something that you catch just through osmosis. Just working on them side by side with them. I don't, I don't even know exactly how that works, but some of it's impartation, some of it's just watching their life. Number three, deploy. So it's discover, develop, and deploy. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, how will they, Then how will they call on, on whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in whom they've not heard? And how will they hear if there's no preacher? And this one has always bothered me. How will they preach unless they're sent? It didn't say went. It said sent. The word is apostled. There's something about not doing it alone. There's something about being connected. What do I do when I take hold of someone? I discover. That might take a week, it might take a month, it might take six months, it might take years. But the idea is to reach down in their life and find the deep waters down there that the Lord's put in there and start to reveal it to them. And it might be through prophecies that other people have given them. It might be through just things that you observe in their life. Whatever. You just start to discover. And then you start asking them questions like, if these are the things you're good at, if this is where you're anointed, if these are your passions, then, then how do we help develop you? How do I help you develop? And I remember Bill's teaching us this, these principles when our kids were young and we just tried to watch what our kids loved to do. And, and I remember Brian just loved to play guitar, quit basketball in the early days and just would play for hours in his room. And, you know, and, and, and Bill and Benny just poured into that. You know, it's like, hey, you know, it wasn't like, hey, you can't make a living being a musician. You need to get a job. No, they poured into watching their son have a passion for something that at first he wasn't very good at. But he loved it. And he got good really quick. There's something about finding out where people have a passion and a gift. I have a passion to play basketball. And I'm waiting for Michael to call me and mentor me. And I heard that word tonight about Joshua, 85 years old. I leaned over to Paul and said, it's not too late. Deploy. The last one is deploy. Discover, develop, deploy. Helping them figure out where they can find a place for those gifts to manifest is part of what you do when you take a hold of someone. I love it when I was in Weaverville and I love to preach. I have always loved to preach um, since I met Bill Johnson. I never liked to before that. That's the absolute truth. Never liked it before that. Never, I, I had a youth group with seven kids in it. It was awesome. Yep, it doubled in size once. Went to 14, but then I went back down to seven the next week. <laughs> yeah, we are, we're, the, we're the fastest growing youth group in the world three weeks in a row. We doubled three times. It was two, then it was four, then it was six. Then it was seven, then it was 14, then it was seven, then it was six, then it was five, then it was two. And the two were the two elders' kids who had to come. But I, when I watched Bill, do you ever watch someone do what you're called to do and you never knew you were called to do it until you watched them do it? This is the truth. This is how it got inspired me. Like, I, I mean, I loved kids, but I didn't like preaching. But when I watch Bill preach, I'm like, wow, I could do that. I could probably do it better. I never thought that. <laughs> that was a lie. I mean, I, I was in my wisher. It's in my wisher, but it, it... I don't think I've ever admitted it was in my wisher, but it was in there. I don't know why I confess these things on streaming. Probably there's something probably broken in there I need to go to accountability group for. But When you watch somebody do something you're called to and suddenly it, something stirs in you. 
Like maybe you were never, like you never even thought, I don't think I'd ever want to do that. And you watch someone do it, it's like, ha, oh, something's stirring in me. And I remember like, I was so passionate to preach. I preached at the convalescent hospital for five years. Uh, every Sunday for five years. Now you think, oh, he's so compassionate. No. No. No, I just wanted someone who would listen. I'm just being real. Like it was so cool because they would wheel them in like the youth people could leave, but those people couldn't leave. It's a true story, right, Bill? I preached for five years, and I was watching Jimmy Swagger at the time, and he used to hold up his Bible. This is my Bible. You know, and I would shout like Chris O. Like, that's his style, but I just did it because Jimmy did it. And I'm like, and the Lord said. And I would take my Bible and do what Jimmy did. And the Lord said, in his word. <laughs> and when I do that, like seven of my eight people would pee the floor. It was the equivalent of people falling out in the spirit. And after being there for a few months, the nurses knew. They were like my deacons and they, they knew what to do and they would take them out and mop the floor every Sunday. I preached for five years in the campground in the summertime, remember that? I have one daughter who plays keyboards and one daughter who plays guitar. All they knew is three songs, so we rotate. <laughs> one Sunday one would go, and the other Sunday the other would go, and they would beg, oh please dad, I want to go. Like, you're going to play your songs, you were created to be <laughs> like Brian, like Brian. You, no dad, we're not like Brian. Yeah, yeah, you're like Brian. <laughs> and about, you know, usually like, probably, Every other time, nobody would come in the campground. So I would just have my daughter sit in the bench and I'll preach to her. <laughs> this is a true story. Well, if you didn't preach, they wouldn't come at all. So sometimes you preach and then they would come. Or the bears would watch. <laughs> you know, no, that, well, I have an anointing for the creation like St. Francis of Assisi. Because <laughs> we're supposed to preach this gospel to every living creature. <laughs> I was called to the creatures. I mean, people didn't show. I'm almost, I'm getting close to being done, so. What does it look like? Find something, help them find something that they were born to do. I take a hold of somebody. What do I do? I discover. What were you born for? I help you develop. If I'm not good at what you were born for, I find some folks to help you. I extend my favor. Hey, Chris, can you take this guy out in the streets? Da, da, da. Yeah, okay, take him out. Hey, Chris going to take you out in the streets. Hey, you're a singer. Hey, Brian, can this guy... You know, and we've done that for years. Like, hey, this guy's amazing. I'm working with this guy. Can he, can he connect with you on that thing? And then deploy. Okay, well, that's awesome. You're good at this thing. Okay, where, where are you supposed to be? Because how many know you're not supposed to be everywhere, but you're supposed to be somewhere? You're not supposed to be with everybody, but you're supposed to be with somebody. And you're not supposed to do everything, but you are supposed to do something. And when we answer those specific questions, and the closer we get to answering those questions, it's amazing how focus actually makes you alive. I, I want to give you a few things I just wrote down during worship. As far as teaching people, discipling them, taking hold of them. Because these are the questions people have. Like, I love meeting with people. When we meet, we have coffee. Now what do I do? Okay, I did that. Now what do I do? You know, I told them, start writing the Bible. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I'm not supposed to write another Bible. It was a joke. Anyway, okay. Uh, let me just give you a few points I wrote down. Reward what you want and confront what is unhealthy. Reward what you want and confront what is unhealthy. This is a business principle that we've learned many years ago, but it, it works with people in all walks of life. 
If you want people to sell things and you don't want them, and you want them to sell things that you actually make a profit on, then you reward the things that you want them to sell, and you don't reward the things you don't want them to sell. And, and, and this sounds really simple, but it's amazing how I watch this in the life of people, and you know, mom's going through the grocery store with two kids, and they're both screaming, they want, they're trying to grab things off the shelf, and pretty soon mom gets tired and gives them an ice cream that they wanted, that they were screaming for. Guess what you just taught Johnny? You taught Johnny, if you be bad enough, if you yell loud enough, I'll reward you. You just rewarded Johnny for what you didn't want him to do. And then wonder why he does it all his life. And wonder why Johnny pouts when he's 18 because he didn't get his way and his boss fired him instead of giving him the ice cream. It's unsanctified mercy. And then we get the idea when we come to Jesus that when we, when we feel sorry for ourselves, he actually comes to us and actually he doesn't. Demons do. And you know what? The number three reason why most people are demonized? Self-pity. Self-pity. You wouldn't think that, right? But it's true. When you throw a pity party, Jesus doesn't come, but somebody does. So listen, parents, people that are leading other people in any realm, reward the behavior you want and confront unhealthy behavior. Don't do the opposite. Number two, be consistent. Be dependable. When you're, when you're mentoring someone, don't create expectations you can't fulfill. We're going to meet every week and you meet once a month. Guess who he thinks... Guess who, guess who he thinks most people, when you're undependable, they blame themselves. They're like, oh, he doesn't really want to meet with me. Oh, he didn't come because he doesn't like me. Hey, it's better to underpromise and overperform than it is to overpromise and underperform. Because how many understand relationships are built on trust? And trust means that what you say you do, you're going to actually do it. If your leadership style is dependent and your core values depends on your moods, no one will follow you. You know, if you're in a mood to be a parent on, one, on Monday, but you're not in a mood to be a parent on Tuesday, and you change the way you discipline them, guess what? That inconsistency will not change your kid's behavior. Can... You guys heard me, right? That was a good word. Bill taught me this. Confront attitudes before they become behaviors so that people learn how to change their minds, not just their actions. And I'll finish with this one. Don't withdraw love in order to bring discipline. Otherwise, the best discipline in the world feels like punishment. The cold shoulder is sometimes worse than a harsh word. Johnny did something wrong, so we don't talk to him for the day. What's Johnny learn? He learns that love, that love, that you have to work for love. And that if he fails, he's not going to be loved. So guess what happens when he fails? Guess who he doesn't tell? Anyone. And he ends up living in shame, and he's not vulnerable. Why? Because he learned that when you fail, love will be withdrawn, and he's starving for love. Everybody needs love. So when he failed, mom and dad gave him the silent treatment, or he got exiled to the bedroom for a week, or whatever. And I'm not saying don't discipline him. I'm saying don't withdraw love. In fact, when you're disciplining somebody, when you're correcting them, and, and you know, we're, we're talking about children, we're talking about leading people, we're talking about taking hold of somebody. So there's all different age groups and all kind, different kinds of people. But if you tell someone about something they're doing that's destructive, make sure you stay close to them for the next few days so they know that didn't affect your love for them. Because it is love that never fails. 
Everything else will fail, but love never fails. Well, so when someone corrects, when you correct somebody, make sure the next day or the day after, whatever, you check on them. Hey, you know, just want you to know that thing you did, that didn't affect our relationship. We're still good, right? Amen. I have 15 more pages of notes. We just better quit. Why don't you stand and let me pray for you all. I love this quote. I think I heard it on a movie. Not a chick flick. A real movie. Sometimes you meet your destiny on the road to avoid it. On the road you took to avoid it. Sometimes you meet your destiny on the road you took to avoid it. Do you ever find Jesus when you're running from him? And you're like, oh Jesus, I've been looking for you. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. Can you just put your hands out? I just feel like we're supposed to just receive some equipment. I see all these tools in my mind, these tools. I, I know, I'm a, I'm a tool freak. So, you know, if the Lord can talk to Jacob with a ladder and tell Jacob that angels climb ladders, then it's okay to see tools. Some of you only have a hammer. Yeah, Bill, Bill's, Bill's said it's him. Oh, Bill, you don't have a hammer. I see you with a buffer, Bill. A buffer. Because you like shiny things. <laughs> I believe the Lord wants to hand out tools tonight. On a serious note. Like tools. He just wants to hand out equipment. Because you know what? I think that everyone in this room, you have the heart. You're like, I'd love to take a hold of someone. I'm scares the bejeebers out of me what I do after I have coffee with them. I don't, wanna, I don't know what to do after I say, hey, how you doing? And then you just said, we're not supposed to talk to them about all the bad stuff they're doing, so I don't even know how to talk to people about the good stuff they're doing. So Lord, I just release wisdom. I release wisdom to take a hold of thousands of people. I mean, think about it. Somebody in this room, you might be the person who takes hold of the next Billy Graham or the next Catherine Kuhlman. You might be the person that takes hold of the next mayor or governor or the next mother that raises five kids for Jesus. And they might attribute, world history might be attributed to you taking hold of them. You discovering their destiny. You being the wise woman, the wise man that dipped into their river and says, look what I found inside of you. How are we going to develop this? You might be the master trainer. You're like, what am I supposed to do? You might be the master trainer for five people, and that might be your life's destiny, that you would train five world changers. You might be the kind of person that you take, you take a hold of people, and you're like, I know where you're going. I need to get you some help developing you, but I just have this, you're just a visionary. You just have an idea how to connect people with their destiny. And you're like, I need other people. I'm going to bring some other people in when I disciple people because I'm not very good at developing them, but I'm awesome at deploying them. And there might be pieces of this. You're like, I'm not very good at that. It's like, bring other people in. It doesn't just have to be a one-on-one. So, Lord, we just release wisdom tonight. We just release wisdom in Jesus' name. That we would learn how to motivate people who aren't motivated. We give us wisdom on how to, Lord, how to, uh, yeah, just how to embrace their destiny and, and just, and love them to a place of wholeness. And how to take clouds, dark clouds off of people and how to heal broken hearts and how to launch people into, into wholeness and into their family and teach them how to raise their kids and, and love their spouses and, and, and love Jesus and love one another. Lord, just, just release tools right now. I just, that's <laughs> crazy picture. I know tools don't float, but I just see tools just floating down and this like whole toolbox is being filled. I have this picture 
this, I call it a vision. I, I see empty toolboxes tonight, and then one or two tools in there. It's like, these are the two tools I have. And, and I feel like those are good, and you have a great heart. But the Lord wants to release more tools, more equipment. So, Lord, we pray that they'd be fully equipped, fully equipped for every good work in Christ Jesus. That they could work with an extrovert, they could work with an introvert. They could work with a singer, they could work with a carpenter. They could work with a man or woman. They would have tools that no matter who comes to them, they could discover, develop them, and deploy them. Lord, we bless the people of God. And everybody said, I receive these tools for myself, for my family, for my friends, and for everybody that you assigned to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much.